Hey, Bridge family, it's my honor to be introducing you to the man that's going to be bringing us the word today. Um, when Matt Swoboda, one of our executive pastors, and I were in seminary being trained in the Bible, there was a church in that city that God was exploding with his power that Matt Swoboda and I would travel to to get a vision of what we wanted our future churches to look like. The name of that church was Sojourn Community Church, and the name of their senior pastor was a man named Daniel Montgomery. You know, some kids, when they want to grow up and be basketball players, they grow up watching Michael Jordan clips. Uh, When I wanted to learn to be a preacher, I was watching Daniel Montgomery clips. Chuck Norris is scared of Daniel Montgomery. And so, Bridge family, it is my incredible honor to introduce this man to you. And would you please, right now, show my friend, my former pastor and long-distance mentor, Daniel Montgomery, a warm bridge welcome. Come on. Well, it's an honor to be here. It really is. Uh, the Chuck Norris is a bit much, but uh, I'll take it from Pastor Josh. It was just five years ago that uh, Pastor Josh reached out to me, and we, we got away, um, some pastors from Sojourn Community Church, and um, Matt, or Josh, and we got away, and we retreated, and it was a dangerous meeting. We were wrestling with vision and multiplication, and he had a list of questions, and What I remember being most impressed by, Pastor Josh, was his curiosity and his genuine sensitivity to the Spirit's leading in this church. So often pastors are looking at following the next thing and chasing after fads, but Pastor Josh was genuinely under conviction in seeking the Spirit's leading for what's best for this community in the mission of God. We're in a series that is appropriate when we talk about dangerous meetings. It's dangerous prayers. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what does it mean to cry out to God and say, search me, break me. And today we'll look at send me. When we cry out to God and say, search me, what we're doing is we're saying, Lord, I want the real me to encounter the real you. I want to be someone not like this, where it's about the show, but it's a genuine heart encounter with the one true living God. I want to know you. And be known by you. And to know God is to be broken by God. God breaks us. God breaks us not to beat us down, but in order that we would experience breakthrough. And so we cry out to God and we say, Lord, break me. Break me so that I can be used for you. Break me in order that I can break through, that we could break through into your mission. And so this prayer of sending me is rooted in our identity. Our identity as the people of God. Specifically, our identity as witnesses. In Isaiah 6, 8, we read, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Again, in Isaiah 43, we read, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. So do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. 
And finally, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. Witnessing is not just something we do, it's who we are. What we do as the church flows from who we are, and who we are has been given to us by God. The gospel, who Christ is and what he has done, makes us witnesses. And our witnessing is all about the gospel. Now, a witness is someone that has knowledge and experience of something or someone somewhere. And the deeper the knowledge, the deeper the experience, the more powerful the witness. Witnessing isn't first and foremost a technique or a program in a church. It's who we are as the church. To be a Christian is to experience Christ. And so let's open up with a missional cardiogram. Let's do a heart check. Where am I at in relationship to this identity of being a witness? That's the question I want to seek to just ask and answer this morning with with five heart questions. First off, do I have regular conversations with people outside the faith? Or all your conversations, holy huddle conversations? Have I shared a meal with someone outside the faith in the last month? Have I served a friend who is outside the faith in the last month? Have I invited a friend who is outside the faith to my church or my group at church? Have I shared the gospel in the last month? You know, the final question is, do I, do I need to repent or really just come home afresh to the reality of who God is and what he has done for me and Christ Jesus this morning? You know, th- this isn't a, a message in oughts and shoulds. Witnessing should flow out of the reality of who we've experienced in God. And I think so often we're waiting to get to this place where we're ready. Instead of recognizing whether it's our worst day or best day, we're called to share who we are and what God has done in our lives. You know, let me, let me give you two days in my life, hopefully to illustrate this call before us. You know, day one, I wake up and the hills are alive. You ever wake up and just feel saved? Right? You wait, I wake up and I just feel great. I wake up before the alarm goes off. I get up, have plenty of time to, to get into the Word of God and pray and I even have time to pray for my coworkers in advance of the day. It's, it's that kind of day. I have so much time in the morning that I ask my wife, hey, can I help take the kids to school this morning? She's like, absolutely. On the way to driving the kids to school, I have four kids, and we're bustling them all around. She texts me and says, I love you so much. Thanks for helping out. And I'm like, I love you too. I get to work, and we have our first agenda. There's about 12 things on the agenda list, and we just pop, start popping through them one by one by one. It's just a great day. High fives with all the coworkers. We go to lunch. During lunch, the the waiter comes to us and says, hey, I've heard you guys talking. Are you guys Christians? And I'm like, yeah. So I pull out my nifty church invite card, give it to her. Halfway through the meal, she comes back with with her manager and says, hey, will you pray for my manager? He's in a crisis right now. We pray for him. There's there's tears right there. It's just like touchdown for Jesus. I get home that day. My, My kids, as soon as I walk in, they my oldest two, they turn off Fortnite, and they all come run and go, Dad, Dad, how was your day? I pick them up and turn them around. You know, we, we have a meal, and, and they're like, hey, can, can we just watch a movie as a family? We haven't done that for a while, so we all watch a movie. After the movie, my middle child says, hey, can I lead family devotions? And I'm like, sure. And then they all go skipping off to bed. 
My wife and I do some other wonderful things. And I end the night saying, God bless everyone everywhere. That's, that's day one. Day two, I wake up late, and I don't feel saved today. No, no time to get in the Word of God, no time to prayer, no time to think about coworkers that day. I just rush out the door. My wife texts me, thanks for saying goodbye. I'm like, whatever. Right? I get to work, same 12 agenda items. We can't even get through three. A one-hour meeting turns into a two-hour meeting, turns into a six-hour meeting. Finally, I end the day. I go home. My kids are playing Fortnite. They're all stuck to their screens. No one pays attention. I inhale my meal that day because I haven't eaten anything and go to a food-induced coma. Right? I'm, just, I'm just not feeling right. And the kids start bickering, and it's just not going well. And I'm like, everybody go to bed. My wife's like, it's 7 o'clock. I'm like, I don't care. And she's like, hey, you're, you're being a little harsh. And the shame sets in. I go to bed, and I think, Lord, pray, help, help me to do better tomorrow. On, on which day am I more qualified to be a witness? My worst day or my best day? The reality is, because of who Christ is, because of what the gospel is all about, it's not about my best day or worst day. It's about his day, that day in which he died on the cross for my sins, which means every day is a day full of abundance and fullness for those that have the eyes to see. That, that's our reality, church. In fact, I might be more qualified on my worst day. Why? Because I'm more able to be broken and recognize my need, and so more qualified to share the gospel with a world that desperately needs to hear the reality of Christ. Today we're going to look at three marks of the prayer, send me, found in Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. If you're at our Columbia campus, we thank God for you. We are one church with, with two locations, and let us hear the word of the Lord. Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. Three marks of Lord, send me a dangerous prayer. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is God's word. May God bless the the reading of his word and the preaching of his word now. So here in Mark 6, we see three marks of, Lord, send me. And the first mark we see here is movement. And to embrace the movement of God is to say, no more passivity, No more more holding back. I have been gifted, I have been called, and I am called to the fullness of Christ that fills everything everywhere. I mean, many religions require a pilgrimage or quest. You you travel to a guru or a center of religious worship, such as a temple or shrine. And Jesus could have adopted a similar ministry, one that involved a lot of sitting around in one place and waiting for people to come to him. But what we see in the Gospels is you'll see Jesus characterizing himself as being sent or seeking followers and lost sheep. Look at verse 6. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. 
He didn't wait for people to come to him. In verse 7 we read, Jesus began to send them out. Mission is marked by movement. To pray, Lord, send me, means we are no longer staying put, but we go and we draw near to others. Jesus models this movement by being sent himself, and he models this movement by going to people. We learn so much about the movement of God simply by looking to Jesus. We see Jesus going to people and making room for people in Mark chapter 2 who were considered outsiders, who didn't feel like they belonged in the church. You know what it was like when you didn't feel like you belonged? Some of you feel like that this morning. I don't belong here. These are all happy people. That's what it feels like when you're not a part of the church. It looks like Christians have their stuff together. If you really knew what was going on in my life. That's why it's so important, church, for us to share our stories. Our stories of fear, our stories of guilt, and stories of shame. And not stories like, way back in the day, I used to be a sinner and fearful and shameful and guilty. No, like today. Today, I'm having a a hard time getting up. Today, I'm I'm dealing with shame. Today, I'm, I'm dealing with regret and guilt. But today I'm preaching to myself, Jesus is enough. Jesus drew near to those who the church typically dismissed and discarded. Lord, have mercy on us. Make the bridge a place where everyone always feels welcome. Where the outcasts and outsiders, where the religious, near-religious always know there's a place where it's real. It's the real deal. Right? That's the kind of church that desperately needs to be multiplied. And that's the kind of church that's participating in the movement of God. We see Jesus going to people in Mark chapter 4 and telling stories to capture people's imaginations. We see Jesus going to people and and not just simply telling them truth, but engaging their hearts and minds. In Matthew chapter 9, we read, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, there's two different kinds of mindsets that we can adopt in the church. There's a a maintenance mindset that's rooted in fear and control, and there's a movement mindset that's that's rooted in empowerment and freedom. You know, one one is rooted in scarcity and one is rooted in abundance. You know, the the scarcity mindset is a mindset that there's not enough blessing to go around, so we got to hold on to what we have with clenched fists, and it's marked by fear and anxiety. The, the abundance mindset or the movement mindset is there's more than enough blessing to go around. And, and we gather with open hands and openness and trust waiting for what God's going to do next because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray, cry out to God that he would send out, literally that he would explode out of his church workers. In Ephesians, we read this regard, regarding God's abundance and his blessings and his fullness. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, Paul's telling us that movement here, abundance, is the result of God's blessing. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not, not many, not, not some, definitely not a few, but every. If you are in Christ, you lack nothing. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Daniel, that sounds great but you don't know my life, you don't know my bills, you don't know my marriage, you don't know my work, you don't know my tomorrow. It's not fullness, it's not abundance, it's the real world. Here's the reality, God entered our real world, and it's not a matter of what you have or don't have, it's a matter of who you are and what we choose to share with one another and with this world. You have fullness in Christ. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the fullness of Christ fills everything everywhere. 
Through who? The church. That's how he displays his grace. His movement takes place through his people in the church. It's not a matter of who you are. It's a matter of who you are and what we share. And that's the second mark. So movement is the first mark of the prayer, send me. Get ready to move, church. And we've got to engage our minds to move and step into the mission of God. The second mark is community. So no more isolation, no more hiding, no more me, myself and I Christianity. But we step in, we recognize I'm a part of the church. I am the church. It's not just a place I go. So I will enter into community. Calling the 12 to him, verse 7, he began to send them out two by two. So notice Jesus doesn't call just like one rock star or one missionary superstar to himself. He calls 12 dudes to him as a community. And he sends them out in pairs, two by two. Jesus does this because we were created for community. We were created for relationship with one another. Jesus does this because our community communicates the message in and of itself. You know, we're all people watchers, right? Like we, we watch one another. We can't help it. We make judgments. And people are looking at the church and they're making judgments by the way we, we love one another or fail to love one another, by the way we celebrate with one another or fail to celebrate with one another, by the way that we're there in the midst of crisis when all hell breaks loose, when difficult situations and circumstances hit our lives. They're, they're watching and they're making judgments regarding the gospel. We're either communicating truth regarding the gospel and the way we live and press into relationship with one another, or we're communicating lies about the gospel. Christ calls us to community because it makes sense. We need each other, and it takes the whole body of Christ. We've been given life with God and life with one another in community, and this is what makes us Christian, not our good deeds, but our new life. So what's our part? How do we press into the movement of God as the community of God? In Ephesians 4, we read, He's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. God's gifted us. You are gifted, church. You you are called by God. You are empowered for the mission of God. God endows us with gifts so we can make him known. And it doesn't say he's given some of us or even a few of us. No, he's given each one of us special gifts through the generosity of Christ. So enough of this self-deprecating, I can't do anything. And on the other extreme, enough of this, I have to do everything. Lord, make us a, a church where everyone's playing their part. Everyone's contributing Everyone's staying within their bounds, not going beyond their bounds and not failing to live within their bounds. In 1 Peter we read, God has given gifts gifts to each one from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well, then God will be given glory. And there's so many opportunities to serve. Do you remember what it was like when you gather with the church and it feels really intimidating? That's why connections is so important here to make people feel welcome, to communicate the reality that, hey, you belong here. And this church exists for the sake of the world. So maybe your thing is people, right? We'll encourage you. Be a part of Connections Ministry. Maybe your thing is kids and raising up the next generation, and that's the, the gifting and the skill God's given you. You, you have the ability to take complex ideas and, and make them simple. Some, some of you, that you freak out when you think of that. Well, There's all kinds of opportunities just to help herd the kids at times and not teach them. But how can we all take part in the mission of God? Some of you are into discipling and sharing truth from God's word. 
Uh, it's an opportunity to serve in groups and make applicable the messages that week in and week out are being preached here. What does it look like for everybody to play their part in the body of Christ? And so I want to encourage you, have a spirit of curiosity regarding your gifts. Open yourself up to others. Today there's a, a growth track class at 1230, which is a great opportunity to enter the growth track and, and to discover your spiritual gifts. The third mark is authority. Uh, no more holding back and fear and disobedience, but I will press into the authority I've been given in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave them authority over impure spirits. In Luke, this authority is amplified. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus is given authority simply to, to pass on authority. He doesn't pray for authority. He can simply pass on authority to his people. In Matthew 28, we read, Jesus came to them, his 12 disciples, followers minus Judas, after his death and resurrection, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. All right, can you say that? Jesus is Lord. Jesus. Okay, I, I know some of you aren't there yet, and that's okay. But Jesus is Lord. And when you get that, and when you're gotten by that, it, it changes everything. And for Jesus to be Lord means Jesus is in charge. He has all authority. Why do we hold back? The reason we hold back as the church, the reason we fail to cry out, Lord, send me, is because people seem so big and God seems so small. You know, so we go to work, and instead of God being magnified, we, we work with big people, big bosses, big coworkers, big problems, and a small God. You're the reason in our neighborhoods we fail to witness and cry out, Lord, send me, is because people seem so big. Big neighbors, big problems, big issues, big knowledge, big education. And God seems so small. That's why we gather as the church, isn't it? So that God can be magnified. So that we can be reminded that this world doesn't orbit around us, or our boss, or our coworkers, crazy uncles. <laughs> but it orbits around a God who's glorious, who's called us to himself. That's why we need to gather with one another to remind ourselves we serve a big God. Hallelujah. And people, people can take the right proportion in relationship to the mission of God. Paul, Paul breaks it down like this. He says, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who has authority to represent another. We have authority to represent Jesus every day of our lives. We've been given that authority. And we're called to represent him. You ever had someone um, send you to a restaurant and say, hey, tell them I sent you? Uh, a few months ago, I was in a restaurant in Atlanta, and, and on the way there, a friend's like, oh, yeah, I just met with the owner a few weeks ago. And he, he texted him. And when we walked in, he, he shared his name, and they took us to a table, and he's like, appetizer. It was just this glorious Latino feast. Why? Because of, of a connection. Someone, someone with authority made it happen. Look, we are under the authority of King Jesus. And, and we don't need to make anything happen. It's not our job to convince or to convict anyone. We just step in. We just press into the mission of God, expecting him to do what he could only do. It's marked by simplicity with these instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt, belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Mission is marked by simplicity in that we are to trust God's provision. The gospel doesn't need props. 
I mean, think about it. You know, how many of you, when you share your testimony, share, well, I finally came to know Christ because I, I came to church and the music, I mean, it was better than the Rolling Stones or Radiohead or anything I've ever heard, right? And I knew Jesus is Lord. Is that your testimony? Was your testimony, as soon as I pulled into the parking lot, I saw the building and I knew this is from heaven. No? And it's no... Was it because, like, the preacher, you know, you, you heard the preacher, and I've never heard such marvelous words of persuasion, and I knew this must be from God. No, it, it's not typically the method, right? It's never the method. It's typically, I don't know. It just clicked. God opened my heart. God opened my mind. And I saw, and I got it. I didn't understand before, but, but now I understand Jesus is Lord. It's the same thing. That's the mission we're called to press in. And so it doesn't mean there's not a point for elaborate presentations and, and skillful messaging. It just means that God is not dependent upon our skill. He's not dependent upon our props. And that knowledge and education and experience should never hinder us from pressing in to the mission of God. It's marked by, it's marked by simplicity. Simplicity. You know, I, I started my first church when I was 24 years old. I had no clue what I was doing. No clue. He calls me Chuck Norris. I was like Pee Wee Herman would be a better illustration. I was 24. And I was a patriarch in our community because everyone else lived in their parents' basement. And God, and God called me. And we preached the gospel and we sang songs and we gathered in community. We reached out to the poor and we moved into the inner city. And we were always overwhelmed. If you are not overwhelmed by the mission of God, it's not the mission of God. But the mission of God should always cause us to cry out for him to show up. And it should always be marked by simplicity. I mean, it's just doing what you do with everyday intentionality. It's being who you are and being where you are. Who are you, church? You are a witness. You are a witness. So be who you are, where you are. When you gather as the church, man, this is an opportunity. Do you realize the opportunity you have right now to witness? You know, my, my friends, when I ask them, uh, hey, what, what, what attracts you most to our gatherings? You know, my, my friends that are outside the church, my friends that are lost in, in unbelief, they go, the way you sing. You just look around. I, I don't like singing, but I love watching people sing. You know, baptism. Really, baptism. I mean, you think, you think of what we do with baptism. It's humiliating. We, like, we dunk people. They come out looking like wet rats. You know? And they're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Communion. When you guys take communion. And I'm like, waiting. You mean not my preaching? No. <laughs> it's, it's watching the church be the church. Baptism, communion, singing. Well, watch. It's such an opportunity, even in the way we got to, Lord, prepare my heart to worship. I want, I want people to be drawn to worship as I worship. Lord, what's going on here? Lord, I, I want to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. I want to be sensitive with what's going on in the lives of believers and unbelievers because where, where, where you want it done, Lord, I want it to be done. I don't want to miss an opportunity, Lord, to press into your fullness. I don't want to miss an opportunity to press into movement. So be who you are, where you are when we gather as the church. Be who you are, where you are when you're at home. Lord, I want to be a part of your movement going forward. And I know it's overwhelming with kids and marriage and finance and bills and so forth, but keep it simple. Keep it simple. In our home, we just share highs and lows over the dinner table. What are your highs? What are your lows? Hey, let's pay attention to one another. 
I know family devotionals like herding the cats, right? It's just like, it's crazy. But what does it mean for us to engage with everyday intentionality at home, at work, in the way we rest? Do you realize what a powerful witness it is to even rest in our modern day? Like to put down your technology and to stop working? I mean, I work with executives now uh, in the, the marketplace, primarily Christian executives and founders. And I get it. People are working 70, 80 hours a week. If the church can communicate there's a different way to disengage and put our work down, I mean, that, that stirs a lot of curiosity in people. How do you put work down? Now, I live in the inner city. And one, one day I had, uh, we, we were having this party. We have parties all the time. We were having a party in our home. And it's, it's a mix. There's everything from like Berkeley grads to like ex-cons that come in our home. We're like right in the, the heart of the inner city. And uh, this, this guy who literally just got out of prison um, pulled me aside and he said, hey, hey, I've watched you with your kids. How do you do it? And I was like, how do I do it? What do you mean? He goes, no, how do you do it? And I was like, what? He goes, not beat them. <laughs> I was like, whoa. He's like, yeah, I just see them running around and you just laugh with them and you're just playing. Like, how do you? And I'm like, hey, let's meet. Let's talk. Let's talk about not abusing our authority, right? But redeeming our authority. Now, people are watching us. They're watching the way we engage technology. They're watching the way we work and the way we put down our work. They're watching our marriages. They're watching our parenting. And here's the deal. It's all grace, friends. It's all grace. They're, they're watching the way we sin and deal with our sin. They're watching the way we suffer. And they're, they're, they're making judgments. And here's the deal. Ultimately, God is the one that draws them to himself. But he uses us in our lives to paint a picture of the gospel. Finally, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That's the power of the gospel. Whenever the gospel advances, whenever you're participating in the movement of God, it's marked by power. You know why 100 baptisms this last year just fired me up when Josh shared that with me? Because every time someone comes to know Christ, it's, it's divine energy that's infused into the community. You ever been in like a lousy group of Christians? You know, can we talk? Like sometimes you're in groups and you're like, this is painful, right? This is like horrible. I don't like that. I, I think I hate that person. Now I'm going to hell. And this is supposed to be a Christian group. You ever been in one of those groups? Let me just tell you, one of the most transformational things that can happen for your group is one person coming to know Christ. It'll change a whole group. It'll change a whole group. And one of the reasons this, this church is experiencing so much joy and energy is because the conversions that are taking place. Celebrate that. Don't, don't take it for granted. Press into more. See, what happens is we're like, okay, this is good. I like this many services. I like this many campuses. But I don't want any more because I keep losing my friends. You know, I like my group staying the way it is. I like, I like my same service staying the way it is. It is overwhelming. And there is loss when you participate in the movement of God. To say send me means there will be suffering. There will be loss. A few years back, I remember I was overwhelmed by, by the mission that I was participating in in the local church. As I said, the campus I served in, I, I helped start all the campuses, but the campus I served in was in the inner city. And it was just too much, right? You know, oftentimes when we'd gather for the first service, there'd be more homeless people than anyone else. And, and people were leaving our inner city campus because it's hard to live in the inner city. And I was just overwhelmed by the mission of God. And, and I went 
to the back of the room after the end of the service. And there was a woman sitting in the back, and her name was Ruth. And uh, I walked up to her, and I didn't know her name was Ruth at that point. I said, hey, my name's Daniel. She's like, my name's Ruth. And then she immediately started sharing how she couldn't come with her husband because she was constantly having, her neighbors were calling to get her evicted because she hadn't paid rent in a few years. So it was kind of remarkable to me that, like, she's still in her home. But somehow she was still in her home, and somehow she was coming to our services. And I was like, I was compelled to ask, why are you here? And she said this. I'll never forget it. She said, she said, Pastor, I'm here because I can be poor. And it just broke me. Because here I was thinking, how are we going to do the mission of God? You know, we, we need more resources. We need more people. It's just too much. And I was reminded, that's what it's about. Why are we here? We're here because we can be poor. You know, we don't come here and then get rich and go do mission. We do mission out of our poverty. We do mission out of our brokenness. Lord, search me. Break me. Send me. He's going to keep breaking us down, not to beat us down, in order to build us up so that as individuals and as a church, we would break through to the mission of God. Everyone, everywhere, every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity to be reminded of who we are and what we share. Lord, would you give us a deeper apprehension of the gospel? of Christ for us, Christ in us, Christ for me, Christ in me, but we genuinely experience the the fuller reality of Christ in us and Christ for us. Lord, we pray that you'd continue to expand this community and multiply it, Lord. I pray that you protect this church from division and lead them into gospel-driven multiplication. It's in Christ's name we pray and all God's people said.